The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal country, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. He was scammed by a person who uh, got him to sign several uh, telecommunications uh, contracts and then took the devices away from him and um, got him to give money, which he thought he was lending him money, but um, he never got returned. This is The Future is Inclusive, and that was the voice of David. David's son was the victim of a scam a few years ago, but David says his son's intellectual disability became a barrier when he tried to report the crime to police. I'm Kyra Matthews, and in The Future is Inclusive, our goal is to help you, as allies to people with disability, better understand barriers to access and inclusion. Because we can all do something to make the world more accessible. It's just a matter of knowing what that something is. In a moment, I'll chat to Amanda Charles, who is working on the ACT Government Disability Justice Strategy. I want to learn more about how the justice system works or doesn't work for people with disability. And I mean both victims of crime and those accused. And I want to know if there is anything you or I can do as individuals to be allies. But first, let's hear the rest of David's story. From a police perspective, we then took this as a police matter. And uh, the person who uh, took the first statement, he was extremely good. We got in there around about half past nine and we got out around about half past one, quarter to two in the morning. But that was because he actually went through it very, very detailed. The um, the statement was an extremely detailed statement and um, I thought something was going to come of it. Unfortunately, the next day the person told me that that wasn't going to be the case because the police sergeant just felt that uh, my son wasn't going to be able to to operate effectively in a um, court of law and as such, why waste time? Can you explain what it was about how his disability may have been seen as a barrier? Uh, my, my son has an intellectual disability and therefore he's not always as articulate and the sergeant felt that that would not uh, be effective in a court of law. So I, of course, was a little unhappy about that so I went to um, Atticus, who is a local um, advocacy organisation, and eventually the police did raid this person's place four months later. Of course, there was nothing there. We're, we're talking a total scam in the vicinity of eighteen dollars to $20,000. Now, we were fortunate that um, the telecommunications companies were able to be uh, discouraged from proceeding with action against my son. However, um, the money was totally lost Mm. and that was several thousand as well. This happens to people with intellectual disabilities all of the time. So if I think about what could have been done, the justice system, the court system itself needs to be much more flexible and much more acknowledge people who have intellectual disabilities and provide them a safe way to present their cases. Yeah, there's probably two or three key changes. The, fir- the first change is to make sure that the person on the front counter does the right thing. Now, in that case, they did. The second thing is to make sure that 
the people who make the decisions as to whether go ahead, you go ahead or don't don't make decisions that are easy to make, but actually make, understand that everyone should get justice. Do you think that that sergeant had ingrained attitudes that made him dismissive, or do you think he had seen the court system failing and that's the reason why he was dismissive? Uh, I'm not too sure. It, I, I think it's a it would have been a mixture of both. Mm. Do you have some thoughts on what people can do to be better allies in, in terms of justice? I think the first thing is listen, because sometimes it's actually hard to listen to someone who has an intellectual disability because they're a lot slower in expressing what they're thinking. I know I can get sometimes frustrated with my son who doesn't get to the point there and then and it takes about three to four minutes. But the gift I can give him is listen. And and I think that's a gift we can each give. I mean, it's, it's really not just for people with intellectual disabilities. It's a gift we can give to everyone else. And then... Once you've listened, then you can ask questions and, and encourage them to actually share more. Being able to be sure that just because a person's not articulate doesn't mean they don't deserve justice. From my perspective, I try very hard to get my son to take as much responsibility as he can by asking questions rather than giving determinations. Even still, it gets frustrated. What I'm really trying to do is get my son to be able to become his own advocate. That was David, whose son wanted to remain anonymous, but he gave David permission to tell his story. I'm Cara Matthews, and this is The Future is Inclusive. Amanda Charles is from the ACT Office for Disability. Her division funds this podcast and now she is working on the ACT government's disability justice strategy. So, Amanda, we heard David's story. Is it unusual or typical for people with intellectual disability? Uh, I think that's probably quite a typical experience for people with disability, unfortunately, where something happens that goes wrong in their lives. They reach out to the people who are meant to support them and those organisations largely do. And as we've heard, the particular person who came out to see David's son was great and spent a lot of time engaging with him. They left at whatever time in the morning. But the system itself generally doesn't see people with disability. And by that I mean they don't really understand about making reasonable adjustment, about understanding what people need to have happen, um, about making sure that people with disability understand what's going on around them. And then that means that people see them as not a, not a credible witness, perhaps, uh, and things don't progress. I think when we talk about justice and when we developed the disability justice strategy, we looked at the entire, I guess, the life continuum for people with disability around justice. So we have at one pointy end, it's the criminal justice system where people end up in prison. And across the country, we know that up to 50% of people with disability, if not more, uh, make up the population of people in prisons. Um, and then we have the other end of the continuum where people with disability have their rights to make their own decisions taken away. And they have guardianship orders placed on them for a range of issues. And those guardianship orders are are rarely removed, not because anybody here is wanting to do the wrong thing, but because people are just not seeing the needs of individuals with disability and they're doing the very best they can. And that is very frequently coming from a place of concern and positive regard and goodwill and soft-heartedness. But frequently that means that people with disability don't get to have their voice heard, don't get to be seen as credible witnesses, don't get to experience justice that you and I have the right to expect. 
we know that the justice system is currently, it's an adversarial system where it is very difficult for people to have their voices heard and for people who experience years and years of compounding disadvantage and difficulty accessing education and workplaces, then to think that you're going to have your voice heard and that you're going to be able to stand on your own two feet in that highly adversarial system is a really complex thing for individuals. And so what we need is allies in the system. And what we're doing in the disability justice strategy is getting um, our largest players to become allies and understand what they can do to become allies in this system. Now, uh, with David's story, where do you think it actually fell over in this story? What we have heard through consultation on the strategy is that frequently people are not seen to be credible witnesses. How do you get up into a court and explain what's happening when um, it's really easy to confuse people? And my understanding is that David's son is a man with um, intellectual disability and it's really easy for people to bamboozle you. And when you are in a court situation or you have people in front of you who um, are very serious and they're using very complex language, it's really easy to get confused or to give the impression that you're confused. And so people are not seen as credible witnesses. Now, there are as many examples of that working and people working really hard to make sure that people are held to account for what they've done. But there are many, many stories where people haven't been held to account and people people with disability have been disempowered and um, they haven't been heard and they haven't been listened to. So... I guess what we really want to do in this space is make sure that the experience where the police person who was engaging with David's son does actually get listened to from the justice system. The time and effort that that person put in to listen to that story is heard and our legal system allows the voice of David's son to be heard so that he understands that this is what justice is about for him. What about people with disabilities who are being accused of a crime? What are the issues around inclusion with that? Nearly 50% of people in prison systems are people with disability. Now, there's a huge contingent of the population who say, surely not, there can't be that many people with disability in prison. And likely there is a much higher number of people with disability in prison, but we don't ask, we don't check. So people with disability experience compounding disadvantage where they are twice as likely to be unemployed. They're much more likely to experience a lack of educational opportunities, much more likely to be living in poverty, much, much more likely to be victims of abuse. And when people have been disenfranchised and disempowered for such a long time, frequently they end up in company that is not necessarily awesome. That doesn't mean that people with disability are perpetrators of crime at a higher rate. But we know that people who are poor and alone and isolated and disadvantaged do get to be in situations that are not awesome. And they also have difficulty getting allies on their side. It is hard to have a lawyer. Um, It is hard to find somebody who is a strong legal advocate for you in that space. For people with disability in the justice system, It is really hard if you are somebody who goes into a prison system and you don't read and you don't want anybody to know you don't read because then they're going to give you a really hard time for not reading. But how do you do courses to get out of prison? How do you do courses to enhance your life skills in prison if you don't tell anyone you can't read? And when people start to sort of think, maybe this guy can't read, what would you do? I would probably kick off and get worked up and make sure that no one notices. I'd get angry. I'd probably give a little bit of lip, probably quite a lot of lip. So the support networks that are in the prison system and through the justice system don't see 
that people can't read or don't see that people aren't hearing or don't see that people cannot understand what it is you're telling them in that way. And if you can't engage with all of those activities that prevent recidivism and going back to prison, then you don't have any choices. One of the pieces of work that we're looking at here is working with the corrections side in the ACT to look at a disability framework where they look at how do we support people with disability who are accessing the correction services that they have. And this is a this is a slow piece of work. This is the cultural change, as you know, takes a long time. So you mentioned the disability justice strategy. What are its key goals? The disability justice strategy is a 10-year plan with three key goals. The first is that people with disability are safe and their rights are respected is great. The second is that the ACT has a disability responsive justice system. And the third is that change is achieved and measured. They're pretty simple goals. We have a whole range of actions about how do we make that happen. This podcast is about what allies can do. Um, obviously, when you're talking about allies in this in this space, you've got people working in the justice system and working around it, but you've also got kind of general public. So, Amanda, something we do um, for every episode is give three or so tools that the general public can can do to be better allies. One of them I kind of heard was take the time to listen. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Take mm -hmm. the time to listen and hear what people are telling you and what they are maybe not telling you, but mm -hmm. you can just hear their uncertainty perhaps in their voices. Yeah. I think if you have the ability to um, look at any paperwork that people get, there's a lot of people who find paperwork difficult. If you see any paperwork and you can explain it in a way that's easier to understand or you can highlight the important bits, this is where and when you need to be somewhere, those things really help. Um, there's a lot of words in a document. Mm. Pick out the ones that really matter for people. I think that's really helpful. And the other one that I heard was that if you are in a position of explaining something to somebody, making sure they understand. Um, an example of how that might work is getting them to say it back to you rather than just answering yes to I understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think explaining it that so this is who, who's going to help get you there or ask the questions, how are you going to get there? Um, do you have someone who's going to drive you? What do you think you'll wear that day? Who are the people who are going to help you out? Ask those questions that help people organise that into this is my plan. I think that stuff is really important. Planning is a hard thing for everybody and people who end up in a, I guess, in a space of a justice engagement and have lived a life of, of, of um, complex, compounding disadvantage, um, anything you could do to make that clearer and easier and accessible would be ideal. Thank you. Um, and thanks for listening. I'm Cara Matthews, and in our next episode, we will look at family and friendships. As a sibling, you're very protective, right? And you're just like, I'm going to mow anyone down that even looks at us the wrong way. That's next time on The Future is Inclusive. This podcast is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. I'm Cara Matthews and thanks this week to Amanda Charles, David and our producer, Kim Lester. <laughs>